Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. take that box away. Okay, could you join me in praying? Our God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for what you have taught us this week about your servant Elijah and just the power that you displayed through him in so many ways. God, we, are, we just marvel at you. We worship you. We adore you. And we're asking now, God, that you help us uh, to listen as you speak through your servant Marty Thank you for teaching her and preparing her, and we just pray, God, that you would give her courage and wisdom as she shares what you've put on her heart. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and to move into action at your calling and at your bidding? We trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So my aim this morning is to show that as the Lord lives before whom we stand, we are able to do all things through God who gives us strength. The mountaintop where Elijah honored God and defeated the prophets of Baal to God's glory brought the nation of Israel to the throne of God. On the hill called Golgotha, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, defeated the enemy once and for all and brought all mankind to the throne of God's grace. And we are called to build a wall and to stand in the gap in our culture and pray for God's mercy and grace. We first meet Elijah as he stands before Ahab, the king of Israel, and says to him, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I surely stand, there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. This challenged the very heart of Baal worship. Baal claimed to be the God who provided rain. This message isn't a long one, and Ahab may have been tempted to laugh it off, but God had spoken through his prophet, and the clock began to tick. Eliza's message was only the beginning, and God immediately took him to the wilderness to be fed by ravens. God knows that once Ahab realized that the prophetic words that Elijah had spoken were true, Ahab would, be no, would leave no stone unturned in his search for him. Isn't it funny how... Governmental leaders, kings, men of this world, women of this world, feel like because they have all the power, they have all the resources, they make the laws, that whatever they say, they, whatever they say goes. And they truly believe that somewhere in the depths of their being, I think. But then God shows up. As God hid Elijah and cared for him in the desert, he was also building his faith for the battle that was ahead of him. He fed Elijah through ravens, unclean birds according to Jewish law, which aren't typically inclined to share their food with men or beasts. And each morning and evening they would bring Elijah bread and meat. And when the water of the brook that Elijah was hiding by dried up, God sent Elijah to be cared for by a widow and her son in Zarephath. Well, why Zarephath? Why not Israel? Jesus gives us the answer to that in Luke chapter 4. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, 
There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Zarephath was in Sidon, and that was only eight miles from where Jezebel's father, Ethbal, the priest king of Sidon, lived. God sent Elijah into the heart of the enemy's country to care for a forgotten widow and her son. He would spend time in the heart of Baal worship. He would care for the son of, of the widow in the land where Baal reigned supreme. Elijah would demonstrate through the raising of her son that God alone gives and takes life. His power would fly in the face of the demonic God whose followers claimed that Baal died each year during the dry season and returned to life for the rainy season. The only life giver was God of the universe. And the widow's son being brought back to life through Elijah demonstrated that. God provided food once again for, for Elijah, but he also provided food for the widow and her son through Elijah. He demonstrated that he was the life giver and provider in his, in, for his people in supernatural ways. As God worked in and through Elijah during the three years and six months that there was no rain, he was strengthening Elijah's faith and preparing him for the showdown on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is located on the border between Israel and Sidon. It stood between the land of Baal and the land of the true God of the universe. Ezekiel 22:30 says, I looked for a man to stand among them who would build up a wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. How do we build a wall and stand in the gap? When we see our leadership and our country failing and our families struggling and our children walking away from their faith and our pastors and leaders coming under attack from the enemy, we come together and we build a wall of prayer. We sit before the Lord and we cry out on behalf of our nation and our churches and our families. We pray for the lost of this world and for people groups who are cut off from the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We ask God to show us how to serve them, how to care for them, and we walk out our faith before them in a way that is authentic. And there are times when God's going to call us to step into a gap in the wall through the giving of our time and our talents and our resources. In Ezekiel's day, God had not found such a man. But during the time of Ahab and Jezebel, God had found Elijah. He was preparing Elijah to stand up to the future king, to the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, and to the idolatry that they had introduced into the land. He was preparing him to stand up against the 450 prophets of Baal. He was preparing him to stand in the gap in the wall for a people who had been led into idolatry and who were in danger of being completely destroyed by the paganism that they were indulging in. So that by the time he came back to Israel and confronted Ahab again, he was ready to be that man that God would work through to reveal his glory and power to all Israel. Jim Elliott and his four friends were killed as they tried to take the gospel to the Wadani, or Alkas as they were called, by those outside the tribe. This tribe that lived in the midst of the jungles of Ecuador were the most violent people on the face of the earth. In the 1950s, they were still living in the Stone Age, and they would spear anybody who came into their territory. And not only were they spearing people who came into their territory, they were spearing one another. It didn't take much where they would go after one another to spear them to death. So they were in danger not only of killing off their own tribe completely, 
but they were in danger of being destroyed by the people around them because of the violence of their attacks. Jim Elliott, Roger Darian, <clears throat> Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCulley wanted to get there first and bring the news of the life giver to this tribe. As they made contact, they were speared to death. Even though they had guns and could have defended themselves from the attack, they had decided ahead of time not to use their guns in self-defense. They knew that they were ready to meet their savior and that these people were not. After their death, the wife of Jim Elliott and the sister of Nate State moved into the village that these very people who had killed their loved ones and brought them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is um, the, Nate Saint, the pilot, his children, being baptized by the very men that killed their dad. It's a powerful moment. Powerful moment that still has repercussions for that tribe and for those people. These, they created a written language of their, of, for their language. Who didn't ha they didn't have one yet, and they translated the Bible into that language. You can read more about the story in Nate Saint's, or Steve Saint's book, The End of the Spear, and the movie The End of the Spear. Because these men and their wives and sisters, eventually their children, were willing to build a wall and stand in the gap for this tribe. They were saved from the extinction and are now growing and thriving. Many of them have trusted in Jesus for their savior, as their Savior and Lord, and they're actively trying to reach not only the rest of their tribe, but they're trying to reach other tribes in other parts of the jungle of Ecuador. To this day, that is still happening. In Jim Elliott's journal, he wrote, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those that I contact to make a decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Help me be a fork that people turn to one way or the other on facing Christ in me. Elijah was a crisis man. He built a wall and he stood in the gap for his people and glorified his God. He was ready for a mountaintop battle against the forces of evil, not because of his strength and power, but because of the strength and power of the living God. He was not a superhero. He was not one of David's mighty men. James says he was a man just like us, given to prayer, fervent prayer. He was a prophet who stepped into the pages of history of his nation and stood in the gaps so they would not have to be destroyed. I don't know about you, but when Elijah showed up, it was a pretty big relief for me. You'd seen king after wicked king come into Israel, leading the people further and further away from the Lord. It seemed like God had forgotten or been forgotten. And these people were willingly going along instead of standing up until Elijah came, who stood in the gap for them, and he not only sent, not only did he send Elijah, but he prepared him for the biggest showdown thus far in the biblical narrative. He confronted a wicked king and queen at the height of their power in the midst of their kingdom where they held all the cards. First Kings 18 says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Those who had embraced sin and wickedness will always hate the truth-tellers and despise the truth that they bring. Ahab and his father's house had caused the drought in Israel, but he had blamed it on Elijah. He was looking for Elijah to kill him 
Have you ever noticed it's kind of how it goes in the Bible? God sends a messenger, even his son, and they think if we just kill this guy, nothing's going to happen. Not realizing that they were, their doom is right there, and this guy is trying to stand in the gap for them and trying to, to, to spare them that. Well, God was getting ready to speak into this narrative. Elijah issued the challenge, and Ahab and the wicked prophets of Baal accepted. The God of the universe was about to show Israel the meaning of the phrase, the Lord, he is God. 1 Kings 18, 20 through 21 says, So Ahab went to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. According to the Holman Commentary, the word limping is translated dance, which refers to the shuffling ritual dance of the prophets of Baal. The people were trying to hold together between two mutually exclusive loyalties, and it was impossible. It was time to choose. God and Baal cannot both be the true God. The Israelites had chosen a salad bar method of worship. They took what they liked from their own faith and the options of the gods around them. It was okay to worship God and Baal. You just couldn't worship the, the only true God without any other gods around. You couldn't choose that option. They thought that God didn't see and that God didn't care. And when Elijah challenged them to choose, they refused to answer. Elijah was on his own, but he wasn't concerned. He knew that the God of the universe gave him the majority and that he knew the power of the God, of his God was the only real power in the equation. So he set up the parameters of the challenge and he gave the prophets of Baal all the advantages. They could go first. They had the numbers. They had the power of the government behind them. They were even on their home turf. Their god Baal was thought to be the god of thunder and lightning and rain. Perfect challenge for him. Bringing lightning down to burn up that sacrifice should have been an easy thing for this god of theirs. They seemingly had it all. But all of their dancing and shuffling and screaming and cutting and bloodletting had no effect on their sacrifice. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why is God a jealous God? Because he's the only God. The only God who can answer the prayers of the people. The only God who can provide for them and protect them. The only God who can take their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. Then it was Elijah's turn. Elijah set up the altar, made a trench, drenched the sacrifice in water, and made a simple prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire fell and the sacrifice was burned up and the rocks were burned up and the water on the ground was licked up and even the dust was burned up. And all of a sudden, the people found their voice. They fell on their faces and remembered who it was who had been the one true God all along. The Lord, he is God. Elijah was obedient and faithful. He showed up in the middle of great deception and overwhelming odds. He issued the challenge on behalf of his God, and he built the altar and prepared the sacrifice. But he knew that it was the God who was God alone who was going to turn the hearts of the people back to the only true God of the universe. 
Isn't that a relief for all of us? When we pray for the lost, those in our families who are lost, our friends, our neighbors, it's not us who are going to turn their hearts back. It's God. We just need to show up and pray and let God work. The wicked kings and their dark agendas had won the day for so long, but then God found one man to build a wall and to stand in the gap so God would not have to destroy the people. And then God sent the rain. Seven times his servant went to check. The number of completion. God's number. And on the seventh time, the rains came. And they came powerfully over the land. And the people had no doubt in their mind who had provided the rain. It wasn't Baal. It was God. About 900 years later, there was another hill, another showdown between good and evil. The stakes were higher the Son of God was the one who was building a wall and hanging in the gap on a cross so that God would not have to destroy mankind and so that sin would be atoned for and when his blood was shed, the price paid so that whoever called on his name could be and would be saved. This time the sun went dark, the earth quaked, the curtain of the temple was torn and graves were opened, dead were raised. And a lone Roman centurion cried out, Truly, this was the Son of God. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He destroyed the power of sin and death. And this was no temporary victory. This was the culmination of the plan of God to redeem his people, and not just the nation of Israel, but every nation on earth. Heaven's gates were opened, and the gospel of grace was born. It was a showdown of epic proportions, and the battle was won forever and always. So here we are. It's our turn now to walk this earth and decide between the God of the universe or the gods of this world. Everyone in this book is done. Their race is run. But not us. <laughs> not us. We're still here, running our race. Once again, it seems that the darkness has gained much ground. A sense of wicked leaders in countries all over this world have driven God's people underground. In our own nation, more and more, the enemy seems to hold all of the cards. Yet, it's different this time. The battle is already over, and we need only to advance the kingdom that God has already set up. God is still looking for people to build a wall and stand in the gap so that he does not have to destroy the land. And what's he calling us to? What battles do we face? And how do we stand firmly with confidence that we can do all things through God that gives us strength? Remember, we're not superheroes either. You don't have to be a superwoman who's got it all together. It's not what God's calling any of us to, and it's a good thing, isn't it? God is looking for men and women who are good at divine math. God plus one is all that we need. He doesn't need us to be everything, doing everything. He needs us to be in his word and in prayer and just to be available. What are our building materials? Well, remember we are. We're the living stones that God is using to build the wall. And how do we stand in the gap? We're going to dive into that a little bit. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun of the, is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is what he provided for us. This is our weapon. This is all, everything that we need is in that book. Luke 8.21 says, But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and do it. So he's just calling us to do it. 
to be his mother and sisters, to, to work in his kingdom, to be his hands and feet. You have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have surrendered to his will, and you are learning his word. That's why you're here, so that you can do it. That is how we begin to build a wall. God's word brings godly people. It shapes us into his image and allows us to reflect him to those around us. The deeper we dive into his word, the more that we can offer those around us. We need something else because without prayer, his word can become an avenue for legalism and for hurt. But God helps us with that too. He says James in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. We confess our sins to the Lord and even to one another so that our prayers will be effective. We pray for healing. We pray for revival. We pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers are powerful weapons in a battle that we face on this earth. And just as Elijah stepped back and prayed and God brought fire down on the altar and then rain, we pray as we ask God to care for our fellow Christians and those who are lost. We pray for those in our authority in our governments. We pray for our pastors and our leaders and our churches and our communities. When we see a brother or sister struggling or stumbling, we pray and we realize that we are as prone to sin as they are. Remember, we don't throw stones. We are stones. We are living stones that together form a wall around our families and our communities. And we stand in the gap in those walls through prayer. I was looking for a, uh, a picture of a, a gathering that we had before Desert Storm in Virginia. And they didn't have that. But the first thing that came up when I Googled that was this. And I thought that was interesting because my husband painted it. And I thought, that's pretty cool. I think I'll just put that up there because he painted it. But this is a painting of a, what a service looks like in the deserts of Iraq before a war. The chaplains have to stand in the gap for very frightened men, and they do such an amazing job. But during the lead-up to Desert Storm, my husband and I were stationed in Fort Eustis, Virginia. We, we watched as the, news, as an army, the news as an army community. We heard that this war was going to be involving weapons of mass destruction, and tens of thousands of our troops would be killed. There was talk of body bags being gathered by the thousands because our troops would be hopelessly bogged down in the sands of Kuwait and Iraq. Remember, we had not fought an all-out war since the Vietnam in the 60s, and this was the 90s. We had, we had fought those wars in the jungles, and this was a desert. As army families, we were frightened and could not begin to fathom what may be ahead of us. Many of our husbands were preparing to leave, and we didn't know if we would ever see them again. Tensions were high. The fear was something we could, fear, we could feel and touch and smell. And so we did what, the only thing we knew how to do. We came together. We called a, for a prayer service in our chapel. And I'm telling you, that place was packed out. The aisles were full. In the back, in the foyer, with the police and the firemen who were even on duty that day were back there. Everyone had come together to pray. And I'm sure that we weren't the only one. I'm sure that every military chapel throughout the United States and the rest of the world was packed as well. We cried out to our God. We built a wall. We stood in a gap as if their lives depended on it because really they did. And Desert Storm lasted 43 days. 
of our 697,000 soldiers that were in that theater, we lost 147. For those 147 families, that war had cost them everything. But for the U.S. military and for their allies, it was a supernatural victory. The God of the universe had heard the prayers of his people and protected the land and cared for them. But I have to tell you, a major disappointment was when we had a Thanksgiving service not too long after that, and barely half the chapel was full. Why is it that we forget when the fear is gone, when the crisis is past, to pray and to be thankful and grateful? Because God really did show up and did miraculous things for our army. I'm sure that each one of us could tell stories of how we have built a wall and stood in the gap for our families over the years. We pray, we fast, we model God's love and forgiveness, we teach, and we pass along God's word to our children and our grandchildren. Each one of us are the Elijahs for our families and for our neighbors and for our friends. Prayer is foundational to everything that we do. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kingdom to us in, his, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, and not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance as our way of life. Each one of us has been put on this earth for God's glory and for a purpose that only we can fill. We are exactly who we need to be with exactly the gifts that God has given us to have. And as we walk with him through his word and prayer and through gathering together for worship, we will always be ready for him to use us. And it will come when we least expect it, and it might look like a red bottle of Gatorade. A while back, a few years ago, I guess, our washing machine broke, and I was in our laundromat, doing the laundry, and there was only one other person there, and he was a young man about 19 years old. And uh, God's, I was finished, and I had some quarters left, and I was getting ready to leave, and God said, go buy that young man a bottle of red Gatorade. And so I thought, okay. And I did. I bought a red bottle of Gatorade, and I took it over to him, and I said, Jesus told me that you like red Gatorade. And he said, I do like red Gatorade. <laughs> and I said, you know what? God knows that, and he sees you. He sees you. And that's all I said. And I got my stuff, and I walked out of the door, and I thought, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with that young man, but I know you have a plan for him, and maybe he just needed to hear that today. But, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd love to tell you that I'm always ready, but I'm not. Sometimes I'm tired, and sometimes I'm grumpy, and sometimes I'm distracted. And sometimes I'm really more worried about what I'm doing that day than anyone around me, and it makes me sad because I feel like I miss out on opportunities that the Lord may have for me. And they don't look like the, the big showdown with Elijah, but they are important in the lives of the people around me. And so I pray that God doesn't give up on me. He gives me some more chances. But as, you know, Allie talked last week about division and downfall and disobedience and death and kind of opened her heart to what God had showed her. I saw this pure heart of hers, and it was such a joy to me. He does use each one of us in each one of our situations. And it always looks different. It's not going to look the same, but she did such an amazing job of, of just kind of showing what God was doing in and through her.
It's been such a joy to study with all of you, to pray with you, to sit down with you and listen to your stories. And it's a gift I don't take lightly. I pray that together, all of us can build a wall and stand in the gap for our culture. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for these women here in this room, for what they're doing for you and for your kingdom, the way that they glorify your name and the way that they teach me how to do the same. I pray that you would unite us together under your power and that we would make a difference in this city and in our homes and that we would be your Elijahs wherever we go because we believe with all of our hearts that God plus one is the majority. And I ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Marty. Guys, um, I forgot to tell you, as you're leaving, if you want to take a look at the Hope Box, there's a little uh, table outside. There's some literature. If you want to take a flyer that tells you about Hope Mommies or a little card, um, feel free to take one of those as you leave. Drop your name tags in your box, and I'll see you next week.